Alia Vyas is international relations analyst based in London in the UK and of course advocate uh, uh, Mark Oppenheimer, advocate and member of the Johannesburg Bar joins us. Uh, let me start off by uh, greeting you both. Uh, uh, Mark Oppenheimer, thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate your time, sir. Absolute pleasure. And Alia Vyas, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for having me. So, Aliyah, let me start with you. What was the order given by the court today? Explain it to me like you would explain it to a five-year-old. Okay, um, it's, it's a lot to explain to any five-year-old, but I'll uh, give it a go, I think. Uh, so, the, the International Court of Justice, or the ICJ, uh, basically responded to an application by South Africa, um, for the, you know, uh, instituting proceedings against Israel for the crime of genocide under the Genocide Convention, by which uh, countries party to the United Nations, such as South Africa and Israel, are are signatories. Um, the ruling today, the court basically granted uh, its own provisional measures, uh, which include several uh several kind of aspects, such as uh, Israel stopping uh, or preventing the further killing of, of innocent Palestinians, um, uh, preventing further injury to Palestinians, further physical destruction of infrastructure, homes, housing, etc. Um, you know, uh, the allowance of uh, humanitarian aid into Gaza or, or into the Gaza Strip, um, stopping its army from... Um, from doing, you know, the aforementioned actions, um, as well as conditions uh, which prevent the, the the continued birth of Palestinians, um, it also uh, kind of um, instituted a um, a very significant or precedent. The um, uh, a, sorry, a measure which is uh, of precedent to the court, which is um, uh, requiring Israel to monitor uh, and evaluate, or uh, provide a report which monitors and evaluates um, its actions in the Gaza Strip uh, regarding. Um, um, for the, you know, any further actions it may take uh, regarding violence, uh, ongoing military um, defensive uh, actions by land, air, or sea, um, with the view that that report would uh, be submitted to the to the court as well as to South Africa in a month's time for further review. And has South Africa achieved what it set out to do? That's a very interesting question, and I think it should be answered in in a kind of four part um, four part story. Number one, I think South Africa's uh, essential um, uh, aim was to to bring the plight of Palestinians onto the international stage, which I believe it achieved um, by you know the moment it. Um, uh, filed its application into the ICJ. The the plight of Palestinians, uh, not only from you know the events of seventh of October onwards, but uh, the the historical nature of this of this conflict or, or these relations between Israel and Palestine were brought onto the world stage. And the second, I think, definitely following today and following you know even its application, um, uh, you know, filed uh, towards the end of December. Um, South Africa has, has kind of knocked the first domino down um, uh, in a string which has uh, allowed for more diplomatic pressure to be put on um, supporters of Israel as well as Israel itself into thinking that, you know, the, the word genocide is now being used not only to describe uh, in certain instances, but in relation to Israel and its actions in the Gaza Strip, as well as, you know, over the past uh, several decades. 
um, which is which is unprecedented and and exceptionally um, uh, influential in the court of public opinion, um, especially you know given uh, the the influence of Western media. I think. Um, Naturally, Aubrey, you were exceptionally correct. I don't believe in the immediate sense that this is going to change anything on the ground in Palestine. Uh, for example, while the ICJ was delivering its, um, uh, its ruling today, bombardments continued across the Gaza Strip and, and Palestinians are still, still suffering from a humanitarian disaster. However, I do think, um, Again, uh, the, the court has, has very much detailed and acknowledged the evidence brought by South Africa um, in a way that it has acknowledged, um, you know, what the, the actions of Israel since 7th of October um, are, you know, up for, uh, uh, cannot be discounted as non-genocidal, you know, without genocidal intention or without, uh, not being genocidal in nature, which I think is a really big, um, which is a really, really big win for South Africa and, and what South Africans should acknowledge. I mean, the world over, not just South Africans, of course. So let me, um, so let me, let me and fine, okay. sorry. Sorry, no, no, go ahead. No. Um, my final point is just that South Africa has, um, has, has really, um, reconfigured this international institution to say to the world that if you want to operate in an international system of governance where international law and humanitarian law operate, you must, um, make it work. Um, as a, as a country that is, you know, quote unquote in the developing world, it has taken, uh, taken this court, um, and its mandate to account as well. So if if I understand you correctly, the court hasn't at this stage ruled the actions of Israel to be genocidal. You are correct, but at the same time, Aubrey, before uh, you know, before leaving it there, that was not at all the court's um, you know uh, its purpose today. Today, it, its ruling was on provisional measures which were urgently requested by South Africa. Um, today was not about stating whether or not uh, a genocide is taking place um, uh, in, in Palestine right now. And what are those provisions that were to be given or that were given on South Africa's request? Um, so South Africa requested, requested several provisions, one of which was a, a total ceasefire. Um, I think with with the court having no coercive authority, I don't, uh, although it has in the past, it, it did not call for a, a blatant ceasefire today. We did not hear the word ceasefire. However, the court uh, granted provisional measure, measures which are arguably tantamount to a ceasefire if Israel is to... Um, is to uh, oblige um, uh, with with those measures. So, for example, Israel must stop the killing of innocent Palestinian people. It must stop the further injury of... Um, these are all provisional measures requested by the court today. Must stop the... Um, the ongoing injury of Palestinian people, the destruction of infrastructure, et cetera, et cetera. So when you look at, you know, at least the eight provisional measures um, uh, uh, granted by the court today, they are tantamount to a ceasefire. Somebody did make that point earlier on in the first hour. I asked the question that says... But Israel will argue that, yes, we agree with those provisions. We've always agreed with those provisions. But we are in a state of war, in a situation where we are defending our our citizens and our right to defend ourselves. And in that instance, 
there will be collateral damage as there is in any war. Ours is to fight and to kill Hamas. And there is collateral damage. And part of that collateral damage occurs because Hamas uses innocent children and, and civilians as, um, as shields in that war. My sense is that those provisions will, as much as there is no coercive power to enforce a ceasefire, those very provisions are as moot as that very ceasefire call. Um, I, I couldn't find a question in that. So, the question is, the question is, if the explicit word ceasefire was not used because we understand that there is no power to actually coerce um, Israel to do so, what do the other provisions that have been um, uh, uh, sort of allowed by the courts how will they be enforced? And will will Israel not use the argument that I've just given you now to say, but we, we agree, but this is a war. Mm-hmm. And, and, and those people that have died um, are collateral damage, but collateral damage because of the terrorist work of Hamas. I, I imagine that that's the argument that mm-hmm. they're going to use. And so, it is, so, you're right, um, uh, yep. Aubrey. Um, Prime Minister... Um, uh, Benjamin Netanyahu of Israel has already used the, um, you know, come out and stated today has reiterated Israel's right to self-defense as well as reiterated, you know, um, the, the terroristic nature of Hamas as well as, you know, the need for the freeing of hostages as well as, yeah. um, um, again, Israel's right to defense. Um, however, you know, when you are a signatory of the United Nations, you sign on. Uh, to the genocide convention as well as to a framework of, of what is considered or defined as war, what you are allowed to do as a state, um, that is, you know, under wartime condition, whether you are defending your, um, your territories or, uh, your territory or your sovereign, um, sovereign borders or otherwise. And I think that, um, you know, that legal framework, uh, holds you accountable to certain things. Just because you are in, uh, you know, a wartime situation does not give you free reign, mm. for example, sure. co- commit any form of genocide or have genocidal intent behind your actions, which is what I think, you know, um, what I think might be missing in, in, um, or rather misunderstood by Israel's words. Um, I think what you, when you're talking about enforcement of, of these provisional measures ordered by the court today, naturally the United Nations uh, system rather doesn't have many enforcement mechanisms within wartime situations. So, for example, it is it has no you know army that goes in and enforces certain uh, certain provisions or certain measures. I think the point of this is to say that if you continue to act in a, in a particular manner that goes against these provisional measures, the court will recognize this as um, in direct contravention to these measures, which are legally binding at, uh, you know, on the international stage. And any country that is signatory to the United Nations is allowed to bring you back um you know, beyond the case that South Africa has has laid before the court, bring you back for uh, for um, for contravening these provisional measures. 
Um, naturally, I think, you know, Israel supporters such as the United States have already said, you know, uh, there, there is no need for these provisional measures. The case uh, against Israel for genocide is completely baseless, um, etc. But I think, um, you know, even prior to this ruling last night, when I, I guess the, the public was, was going between uh, disillusion, um, disillusionment and, um, and optimism, Israel had already stated that the, you know, quote unquote, tweeted, the Hague will not stop us. So I think that is a, you know, an exceptionally powerful statement made by Israel, um, to, to, you know, regarding its respect, its, its, you know, hypocritical respect of international law and international institutions. So, at this stage, the war continues in Gaza. The suffering for the people of uh, Palestine continues. And what I'm understanding is that this is more of a PR victory than anything else? I don't believe that, Aubrey. I think uh, this is an exceptionally historical moment in, in the plight of Palestinians. And I think, you know, uh, what, since since South Africa instituted the case, uh, Palestinians have shown immense support for what South Africa is doing alongside other countries. I mean, just the, the, the night before the... Um, the testimonies by um, South Africa's legal team as well as Israel's legal team were made at the ICJ. Several countries had expressed their diplomatic support for, for South Africa's um, efforts as well as their case and by and large acknowledging and supporting the, uh, the case um, that South Africa was putting forward. Um, ultimately accusing Israel of genocide. So I don't, I don't think this, you know, this, this victory was, um, you know, just on paper, for example. Again, I, I do think, um, we've already had Algeria, the president of Algeria calling an immediate, um, uh, meeting of the United Nations Security Council less than 24 hours after this ruling was made. So I think, you know, it may not be on the, on the ground in Palestine right now, but the diplomatic, um, tools whether you know uh for for um whether by countries individually or in um in and amongst international institutions and using um international and humanitarian law these these um these uh tools are at work let me bring uh mark oppenheimer advocate and member of the johannesburg bar advocate what is your understanding of the ruling of the icj today from your point of view what do we take from the ruling. So, Aubrey, I've been reading about how there are many fourth graders who can't read for meaning, and Aliyah appears to be one of those fourth graders who doesn't know how to read a judgment. To say that the order is akin to a ceasefire is the worst distortion I've ever heard. It's quite clear that if you read the order as granted by the court, it says that Israel can't engage in genocidal conduct. It doesn't say desist from doing it. In other words, it doesn't say stop doing it because there's no finding at all that Israel has been engaged in genocidal activity at all. So slipping in things like stop doing what you're doing, which Elias says on a number of occasions, that's not in the court order. And the genocidal intent is read in with reference to Article 2. So in other words, uh, Israel can continue its war um, and really what the order does is regulate how the war must occur, which is within the confines of the treaty. So it's like me saying to you, Aubrey, you've been accused of um, cheating on your taxes. And so we've made an interim finding that you ought not to cheat on your taxes. Well, obviously, no one's allowed to cheat on their taxes. You know, it's, uh, it's illegal. So 
And you find this, by the way, this isn't just my view, this is the view of the Ugandan judge who um, appends an additional opinion to the court, where she says the relief that is granted uh, is entirely worthless in the sense that it doesn't do anything. It's moot. To say to someone you must abide by your legal obligations doesn't mean anything. Uh, obviously, you've got to abide by your legal obligations. What it does do, of course, is give, give, give Israel an opportunity um, to demonstrate to the world through the report what it actually does. So it can say, well, these are the measures that we take to ensure that humanitarian aid um, is able to reach civilians. Uh, these are the humanitarian corridors that we've set up. These are the uh, measures we've taken to avoid the loss of civilian life. So all of that can be documented um, and shown. Now, to describe this as a victory for South Africa is bizarre to my mind because South Africa goes in with two main sources of relief. And every interview that I've covered, this is the main point of discussion. South Africa never asked for a ceasefire, by the way. What they asked for was a one-sided uh, cessation of hostilities from Israel towards Hamas. There's no concomitant relief, so Hamas would never have been required to stop attacking Israel. Um, and that's the main relief that South Africa seeks, which is Israel must stop um, its military endeavors in Gaza. And that relief is not granted. Um, so all the rest of it is basically declaratory relief, which tells you abide by your legal obligations, which, as you say, Israel would be very happy to do and has been doing. Um, so there is no practical effect. Now, what Elia does as well is sort of move between the sense of going, well, what could have been enforceable practically and what is the effect of the order? So it's a separate question as to whether the court could do anything. In other words, there's no world police. Um, you know, it's it's not an enforceable order by nature of what it is. But that doesn't even come into effect here because there's nothing to enforce. Um, in other words, there was uh, no requirement on Israel to uh, cease its military endeavors. Uh, so that makes all the difference in the world. You do find, of course, that many of the claims made by South Africa during its case um, are not really endorsed by the court. So, and there's one quite substantial correction that's made as well. So, um, one of the things that the South Africans were accused of doing was um, making the claim that various Israeli figures wanted to obliterate Gazans and uh, as opposed to Hamas. So, there's an example where they refer to um, Minister Gallant. Uh, and what the court does is include the full quote there, where it's made quite clear in the middle that Hamas is the target as opposed to Palestinian um, civilians. Um, so uh, it would be strange to think of it as a, as a resounding victory. Aubrey, throughout your intro, you do talk about we. Uh, and I think there's this sort of tendency to think about this case as if it were akin to South Africa on a sporting event. So we, as the Springboks, are going to you know, be on the international stage and display our prowess. Um, this is not something to be proud of. Um, to my mind, what this is really... Uh, is a cynical exercise to try and um, blood libel Israel, a state that was formed because of a genuine genocide, to accuse Israel of genocide under circumstances where it is prosecuting a just war against an internationally recognized terror group who performed the worst atrocity since the Holocaust, uh, is libelous. And so it's odd to think that South Africa should, well, South Africans should be supporting uh, the state of South Africa at this stage. There's also very good reason to believe that there's devious motives behind this litigation. Um, a number of people have done the following inferential reasoning, which is that the ANC were on the verge of financial collapse. 
um, that they owed a hundred million rand. The sheriff was knocking at their door. They then have uh, a meeting with Iran. Now Lady Pondal flies off to Iran. Uh, Hamas, the terrorist group, is then welcomed to South African shores, uh, meets with Fakili and Balila with pictures of Sura Mapoza behind them. The litigation starts, and suddenly the ANC's financial woes are over. Now, we haven't seen the, the bank deposit slips, but it seems like reasoning from the best inference is that there's an ulterior motive for running this litigation, which is not about human rights or dignity or respect for international law, because... South Africa has shown on many occasions that it has no respect for international law. It threatened to withdraw from the Rome Statute, which enables the International Criminal Court on two occasions. Um, one, because it had invited Omar al-Bashir to South Africa and refused to arrest him, and then was complicit in smuggling him out uh, when our court said that we had a duty in terms of the Rome Statute to arrest him. And then with threatened to withdraw again during a BRICS summit, where our intention was to invite uh, Vladimir Putin, um, and realized we weren't able to withdraw in time, so instead had a Zoom call with Mr. Putin. But we're not talking about a South African state that really cares about the international order. If you look at its voting record at the UN, it tends to vote um, with those countries that perform the worst possible atrocities. Uh, it votes with the Iranians, it votes with human rights abusers, people that are anti-gay, people that are anti-woman. Um, we're not talking about a foreign policy that cares about uh, our constitutional values as South Africans. Um, it seems to care about something else. We also know that there is a history of the ANC fundraising um, with foreign entities, um, even before 1994. Um, so uh, you find uh, in uh, Bantu biography, he talks about going on a fundraising tour and where they'd approached um, the British Prime Minister of the day who refused to hand over money and they went off to other other people like Sonia Bacho, who was engaged in human rights abuses and received lots of funds for the elections. So it would be surprising if that wasn't happening now. Yeah. All right, so, so, so let, me, let, me, let me understand. So you're saying to me that the uh, – so sorry, the, the, the whole we thing, before I even go into the other things, um, there's nothing I can do about the fact that, uh, that I'm a South African and my country has decided to take a particular line of action. Um, that we does not signify support or – or non-support. It simply means that I'm identified with this country that has particularly has taken a particular action in the same way that you have just done. Now to say that we couldn't, um, I think you were referring to the issue of, um, uh, oh, I just can't remember, but you, you, you use the word we, um, because I suppose there is a connection that you make between yourself and the country South Africa, being a South African yourself. But you don't necessarily support those ideas and or ideals that they were. Uh, so that that we isn't a we of support or lack of support. It's just a recognition of my South Africanness and those who identify themselves as South African. Having said, I mean, that, I imagine I, during apartheid, um, yep. when the evil Nationalist Party was doing all sorts of terrible things in the name of South Africa, that many people who resided in South Africa's borders would have been very uncomfortable with. We are doing this. They would have said, "No, we are not doing that." Uh, the apartheid regime is doing that. We are doing yeah. something different to that. Um, yeah. So I just think it's important to highlight it uh, because it's very sure. easy to slip into a we, um, you know, because we do it in the sporting setting and a lot of the commentary seems to think of us as point uh, these are wonderful pointing po- sailors. Po- and I'm glad you draw the distinction. Don't think that. that. Po- point point taken. Here's the, the, the question that I want to ask you. The, the point was made by Aliyah that perhaps this is a victory that can't be enforced on the ground, but it begins a conversation that suggests that the word genocide can be normalized in a conversation that pertains to Israel 
and its relationship to the Palestinian people. And that in itself is the victory. Your thoughts? Well, that's, that's one of the most devious things that's happened. So I think it is correct that people are using the term genocide to refer to Israel. Um, and you see in um, Barak's judgment that he says there's something so dangerous in doing this. So that if you look at the how the treaty is created in, um, in 48, it's really to recognize actual genocides like uh, the genocide perpetrated against Jews in Nazi Germany. Once you start to water down what the meaning of that is, once you start to include legitimate warfare efforts in what counts as genocide, well, then the real genocide is, you can say, oh, well, genocide doesn't mean what it used to mean, you know, um, genocide, genocide. So there's a huge danger in doing that. Um, you really want to say this is the worst possible crime. And the Israelis say this in their arguments in court. They say this is the worst possible crime that you could accuse anyone of. Um, and we certainly aren't doing it. Um, we've taken all these measures to ensure that we protect civilian lives. So Elia is right that this is uh, a term that's being used now more willy-nilly by all sorts of um, you know, other pernicious entities. I mean, I don't think the Algerians are particularly good at respecting anyone's human rights, neither are the Arab League countries. Um, by the way, your listeners might not know this, but 700,000 Jews uh, used to live in North Africa and in the Middle East, um, and almost none live near, there now because they were basically driven from their homes uh, and forced into exile. And that is almost never said. Those are not places where religious liberty is respected. Um, very few Christians uh, live in those places either. Um, so there is a real sense of like imperialism that happens in those countries and to say, wow, places like Malaysia really, you know, are backing South Africa on this and the Iranians love what we're doing. It's not something to be proud of. Do you think there should be a ceasefire? Absolutely not. Um, so what is of the utmost importance is that Israel is able to eradicate Hamas. Um, Hamas have said that they intend on performing on October 7th again and again and again. Uh, they continue to fire rockets. Um, there is the further threat of Hezbollah in the north. Hundreds of thousands of Israelis have been driven from their homes. One of the things that the court does do is say that without condition, uh, the hostages must be released. Now, there's been much discussion whether Israel would abide by the court's orders. I haven't heard any discussion as to whether Hamas will abide. I think we'll see, you know, whether Israel hands in a report and whether Hamas hands over the hostages. Um, but if there's any state that cares about international law, it's Israel. It's certainly not Hamas. And the court makes mention of the fact that um, both parties are bound by international humanitarian law. Is the comparison, Mark, between Hamas and Israel a fair one in, in terms of the powers of the two entities? In other words, you're correct to say that Israel is a state. In other words, it has state power. Is Hamas comparable to Israel in that sense? And the reason why I ask that question is the, the need to have the balance, as it were, for everything that is said to Israel to be said to Hamas uh, sounds to me like, you know, um, Israel is a, is a state. It has certain commitments to certain institutions, world institutions, that perhaps Hamas does not have. Should, do you think, the Hamas be held to the same standard that a state should be? Let me just disambiguate your question. So the one is, what is it legally possible to do in relation to Hamas, given that it is not a state? Mm. Right. That's the one question. And the other one is, what obligations ought to be on this entity? 
Now, it seems strange to my mind to say, well, Hamas have less power, so we should allow them to do more horrendous things. But that's not what is being um, said. Yeah. My question is, Shouldn't there be a different regime of laws and expectations that are just, that pertain to Hamas? And shouldn't there be a reasonable expectation for certain laws and expectations and uh, 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 things that are expected of a state, a powerful state that, that claims to be an adherent to the rule of law? Because at some point it starts to sound like Israel is wanting to be compared to Hamas. Well, no. So, first of all, if we do compare the two different um, different places, so the Israelis withdrew from from Gaza in two thousand and five. Um, Hamas have been in power since two thousand and seven after they killed their opponents um, of Fatah through them of buildings. Uh, now, they have sovereignty over the region. So, you know, they, when we talk about the Ministry of Health uh, in Gaza, that is the Hamas-run Ministry of Health. Um, now, they are bound by international humanitarian law. So mm. as, a, as a militant, you have to meet certain obligations. And so they're not entitled to um, kidnap people. Uh, it's a breach of international obligations to take hostages. Um, that if you do have hostages, you then have further obligations, which is that you have to allow the Red Cross to see them, which they didn't do. These things, by the way, are mentioned in the minority judgments of the court. Um, so Hamas clearly fa- uh, flouts its international obligations. Now, let's say on something like the Genocide Convention, Hamas is not a signatory to the Genocide Convention. So there's a technical reason why you can't hold them liable in the convention because they never signed up for it. Israel, on the other hand, recognizes that uh, genocide is one of the worst possible things you can do and it's one of the first signatories. So it recognizes why it's wrong. Um, and that's why, you know, it hasn't engaged in it and the court hasn't found that it has engaged in it. Um, but Hamas does have certain obligations that it is clearly flouting. Sure. So, in your opinion, has South Africa won anything here? No. Um, it's There's been no advancement at all in terms of what it seeks. So, as I say, the primary relief was a ceasefire. Uh, that's dismissed out of hand. And ceasefire, I'm being generous, as I say, because really what they wanted was a one-sided cessation of hostilities, and they didn't get it. Um, the other stuff is, uh, please abide by the law, which... You know, Israel said we are abiding by the law. Um, there is this PR exercise, as you say, there's the theatrics. Um, I imagine that the ANC has benefited enormously from this, um, partly in drumming up voter support and partly in drumming up financial support. Um, but also what it's done for ordinary South Africans is distance us from our true trading allies. So, you know, who do South Africans care most about? Well, those that they trade with being uh, Europe, the UK and America. Uh, over 200 members of the American Congress um, signed on to a letter describing this litigation as despicable. Um, so what the ANC government has done is endanger many of those businesses that have had ongoing relationships with America. You'll also recall that we are beneficiaries under AGOA, um, which gives us preferential trade with America. And, you know, obviously we're endangering that relationship. So... I see nothing good out of this litigation at all. There's that us and we. Barring giving Israel an opportunity to defend itself.
yeah. All right. Uh, I'm going to allow for calls to come in uh, for questions and perhaps comments from our listeners on 011-883-0702. But Aliyah, I, I ask you that question again. What are we celebrating? I think we're celebrating. Um, first, I'm celebrating the fact that Mark is wrong. But um, uh, I think we're celebrating an immense moral, a moral and historical win for South Africa uh, um, and for, for the rights of Palestinians and for the right uh, of Palestinians to exist, um, which Israel has denied for the past seven plus decades. Um, I think this is um, an incredible opportunity for the world to reflect um which South Africa has brought to the forefront. Um, I think we are seeing, as a result of it, immense amounts of diplomatic pressure being put on Israel as well as its uh, supporters um, uh, of its actions, you know, whether the past uh, three months or beyond. Um, I think, uh, in general, we're seeing the um, the uh, principles of international and humanitarian law as well as international institutions such as the UN and, by extension, um, the International Court of Justice at work. It's been it's been woken up. It's been uh, told by uh, South Africa and its supporters in you know uh, the I, I hate to use this term, but the global South that um, accountability is real and we are actors in in this international system. And in order for it to thrive, we believe that. Um, these systems must work for us and uh, by us I mean the rights of all including Palestinians um, I think um, generally I think uh, South Africans uh, you know who who I take Mark's point um, on the lack uh, or the 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 um, the, I should say the avoidance of using the we. Um, I think South Africans who, who support um, what the South African uh, government and, and legal team have done at the ICJ, uh, this, should, this should be a time to claim it as a winner. Not only South Africans, I think anybody who supports the right of Palestinians to exist, um, the, the right of their self-determination um, should celebrate this. Let's take some calls. I'm asking you, the listener, to uh, perhaps give me your sense of what is going on here. What do we need to, what are we celebrating? And uh, what do you make of the interpretations by both uh, panelists in this conversation? Sean is in Johannesburg. Hi, Sean. Yes, hi, I will be, yes. Um, my, my comment is that I was listening to Mark and I was hoping to get a legal view. But he accused your lady, uh, legal opinion of, uh, he, he denigrated her right from the start, which I thought was very smug. He referred to her as like a four-year-old. Um, and he then went on to give the PR and the history of Israel. And he's clearly painting a PR view. I wish you'd kept him on the rails. We want a legal opinion. I was hoping to get a legal opinion and hear both sides. But I was very disappointed in his um, arguments because they were, he's more like a PR himself. He accuses her of being PR, but gee, it's rich coming from him. So very disappointed. Um, just stay in your, Mark, just stay in your lane with regards to the legal aspect, please. Sean in uh, Johannesburg. Mabele in Alberton. Hi, Robin. Yeah, hi. Go ahead, Mabele. How are you? Robin, oh, thank Go you ahead. very much. Thank you very much for this topic. The gentleman who is sitting there, Obi, has not grown up in an apartheid state. We who have grown up in an apartheid state know that it is the end of using the word holy next to Israel. Now we know that we're using the word genocide next to the word Israel. 
And I am sorry to say to that gentleman that this is only the beginning. This is not a PR exercise. This is a very serious matter, and we are in favor of a two-state where Israel and Palestine will live next to each other like we have brought South Africa together, where Africans were meant for a homeland, and this country only belonged to Europeans. And today, we are living in communities where we're living side by side as neighbors, it's not easy because we were divided. I can imagine what is going on in Palestine. I can imagine what is going on in the Gaza Strip in Israel. But I think this is a victory for South Africa. And I think South Africa needs to be proud. We need to be standing up proud and saying that we are holding on to what the world knows us to be. And that is to be human. Ubuntu, Butu. And this is it is a joyous moment for South Africa. I think the gentleman mark there is disappointing. We were all expecting from him to give us a legal view, but he has actually just gone. He's gone to the gutter. And I, hello, hello, should actually I'm, I'm, not go to where he is. All right, Mabele in Alberton, Lucky in Pretoria East. Hi. Hi, Aubrey. Yeah. Aubrey, uh, I, I want to say something. In fact, everybody has said everything about Mark, but uh, a few things that I would like to add on that is that uh, Mark keeps on bringing the ANC into this without any evidence to prove what he's saying. He's trying to claim that uh, the ANC got money from Iran, the ANC got money from Hamas. I wonder if he does have the evidence to support that that, that, that uh, claim. And furthermore, he's calling his fellow panelists something that somebody who cannot read for meaning. That is meaning somebody to the highest level. I wouldn't expect a, 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 a legal expect to treat a, a fellow panelist in that particular fashion. But be that as it may, if Mark can remember what the court did when he summarized the judgment, in so many respects, the court agreed with the, 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 the application of the South African government. And if he looks in te, in te, uh, uh, specifically at uh, the, 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 the votes, uh, how they went, it was 15 to 16, one, it was majority. And to a certain extent, even the, 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 the Israeli uh, 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 judge, uh, the, the ad hoc judge, in one of the rulings, he did agree that uh, he did agree with, with the ruling of, 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 uh, of the ICJ. So for Mark to come here and think that uh, we did not listen and probably is the only one who understands these things is very, very, very wrong. There's a lot to celebrate here. But in the main, this judgment addressed everything that the, uh, the South African government wanted to address. When it comes to the issue of a, a, a cessation of, 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 of fire, obviously, caused by their very nature, sometimes deviate. It deviated to an extent that it did not want to uh, uh, deny Israel the, 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 the right to defend itself. Remember, they, this was not about protecting Hamas. You must not try and, 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 and convince people that the, 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 the South African government wanted to uh, protect Hamas. The South African government wanted to protect the people of Palestine. And in, as far as the ruling of the ICJ went, 
to a much extent did uh, uh, protect the people of uh, Palestine as the South African government uh, had prayed for. So he must not lie to the people. And I know Mark is a Jew himself, he's an open hammer. So it makes sense that he will take the position that he's taking. That is absolutely wrong. He must come and address things as they are. He must not come and uh, bring his own judgment. Thank you. Thank, the you. Thank you very much for your call. Richard in uh, Runaport, hi. Hey, uh, Ops. <coughs> hey, and um, I'd like to respond to uh, Mark and, and specifically because um, it, he's definitely a show for the Zionist propaganda that's been pro- a prop- that has been propagated prior to the war and during the the, the well, I should say siege and um, sort of destruction. I mean, that's taking place in massacre that's taking place in in Gaza right now. So it's really important to understand, Mark, that the ANC and the the, the, the Palestinian movement uh, Hamas and the resistance towards the occupation, which is very important that people understand, that Israel is considered an occupying force. And you can't even compare I mean, them as states, even if Palestine was considered to be a state, because everyone that's in the know with regard to uh, the news uh, internationally know that the UN regarded Israel as an occupying force. I've got to push you, I've got to push you, Richard. I, I, I want to take... Uh uh, both uh, panelists, so I, I need you to, to to give me a final word in thirty seconds, please. I'm I'm really really okay. I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll, okay. So so basically, Gideon Levy, the the editor from Haaretz, uh, uh, an Israeli newspaper, uh, the main Israeli newspaper, he says that Israel is engaged in a genocide right now. Ehud Barak, I mean the previous Prime Minister of, 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 of Israel, he is saying that, I mean, that Israel is in the danger of being seen as, I mean, a genocidal force that's killing innocent people. Yes, you can attack Hamas and make all kinds of uh, excuses as to why there has to be a war against them. But people that are in hospitals, people that are in refugee camps, people that are running, I mean, from, from the north going right. to the south of Gaza based on the okay. in, in, instruction from Israel are being bombed. What, okay. what? Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> Aliyah, your final word? Um, my final words is that um, I think um, there, there. I, I know that the the callers are are really not even a, a sample of South Africans out there, but I think they've really demonstrated that um, South Africa, South, uh, South Africans, um, have a good grasp of what is what has gone on today, and uh, not only in Palestine over the past seven decades with our history of apartheid, but also what uh, what South Africa has has. Brought to the world stage and by and large to the uh, through the ICJ, I think uh, again this is a moment uh, for South Africa and for the rest of the world to continue our ca- a campaign for a ceasefire, um, as well as you know to, to satisfy Mark uh, and and as Minister Naledi Pando and our President said today for release of all hostages um, and and to be honest you know Aubrey on the case of Hamas they shouldn't be a Hamas Hamas was born out of resistance for occupation so I believe that. Satisfies any any of Mark's points on on um, on uh, on on that. 
Um, I think this is, uh, I return, I think this is a moment of celebration for South Africa and for um, for any supporters of Palestinians' right to exist, for their right okay. to humanity, for their right to self-determination. I think this is not in any any in any in means the end uh, for our call uh, for a um, a two-state solution where, where Palestinians' right to, uh, right okay. to exist and self-determination oh. are, are um, are respected, okay. uh, but uh, the first step of that is a ceasefire, which indeed. I think uh, this is a first step towards. Alia Vias, thank you very much. International Re- Relations Analyst based in London. Mark, your last word. Yes, yeah, so on the idea of a right to exist, um, Israel, without a doubt, takes the view that the Palestinians have a right to exist. Hamas does not take that view. In their charter, they make it very clear they don't think Israel has a right to exist, and they've demonstrated that through their attacks. Um, I gather, you know, many of your callers are upset um, with what I've said, but I have given you a legal analysis. I have explained in some detail what the actual operative effect is of that court order, um, which is nothing. Um, and it's a view that you yourself have expressed, Aubrey. So that may be difficult for the listeners to hear, but it is the way it is. Um, I also note the anti-Semitic undertone uh, to say that I can't be trusted because I'm a Jew. And that is something that undoubtedly Jews have felt um, living in South Africa and all around the world, is that they have become targets of hate. Um, and it's unfortunate. I think it's okay to be pro-Palestinian, to think that Palestinian rights matter, that um, that's, they have a right to self-determination without taking an anti-Semitic view, uh, without thinking that Jews are lesser. And it is a pity that your callers don't feel that way. Mark Oppenheimer, advocate and member of the Johannesburg Bar, uh, together with Aliyah Vayez, international relations analyst based in London. Thank you very much for joining me. Let's take some time, a uh, break.